Welcome to the November 12th, 2020 meeting of the Science Fiction Club, the next to last one of the year, which will be well gone, I hope, I think, but when it gets done this December 31st, we will be glad to see the end of it. But for right now, we have a meeting and uh, we have a good turnout. Um, anybody want to volunteer to go first since we haven't had one since September? Uh, anybody want to guess I can go. Go ahead, Martin. All right. All right. Uh, um, it's a book called Sin of Origin by John Barnes. Uh, it's been a while since I've read it, but what I'd like to do is just play the uh, introduction the way it describes it from on the Victor Reader, if that's okay. John Barnes. Oh, yeah. He's written a lot of stuff. All right. Let me, let me do that then. Just a moment. It is the 29th century, and monks from the Christian world have arrived on the planet Randall in hopes of converting the natives to Christianity. Threatened by the missionaries, the three highly developed and intelligent species, winged persons, hand persons, and hand snakes, begin warring among themselves. Some strong language and some descriptions of sex. Yeah. 1988. I'm sorry, what was this called again? It's called Sin of Origin. Okay, this sounds good. It's interesting because it, it takes place in the 29th century, and it's on a planet called Randall. And the, uh, the, the planets are divided up according to, according to religions. There's a Muslim group of planets. I think there's some communist planets. And these are these Christian planets, and they come there with the idea of trying to convert these three species who live they live in a very symbiotic relationship there's a one that flies and there's a, a snake that communicates between the flying one and the and the other one which is uh, has i think several legs or something i forget exactly and the book starts out with a fight the, the, the these uh these aliens are attacking the the christian i guess you could call it a fort and a lot of fighting and slaughter and everything. And then um, they, they withdraw. And then the, uh, the father of the post sends out two people to try to make contact with them. It gets rather involved after they, they manage to, to con con convert some of them to Christianity. And that causes conflict between uh, these aliens because they begin to lose their own reason to be or traditions and... Um, then they, some of the some of the the Christian representatives are imprisoned, and then they they become uh, friendly with with one of the aliens who's sort of like an outcast, and he converts. And it, I sort of lost track of some of it, but it, it it ends up that they finally send they make finally made peace and send a representative to represent their planet in the uh, Congress of 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 the of the planets in general. So uh, it, it's interesting. As I say, unfortunately, I, I read it a while, you know, for the last meeting and forgot, forgot quite a bit. But uh, I, I would recommend it, that people read it. Yeah, 88. So it's a bit older. But he was, right. uh, he was doing a lot of work back then with Larry Niven, I think. And so he, this is, but he wrote solo work also. Um, I, don't, I haven't read a lot of it, but I, he has a good reputation. Sin of Origin. Right. And that was on bar. Yeah. Who? I don't recognize that narrator. Do you? Does anybody? He doesn't sound familiar. Wait, who's the narrator? Oh no, I didn't recognize it. It's hard to hear. Uh, I can turn my turn it back on and let you know who it is if you want. Oh, that's okay. You can go ahead if it doesn't take long. Just just jump. If you jump back to the very beginning, it won't take long to appear. Yeah, you have to go. Just, let me turn the victory. Um, but I just don't recognize him. Um. Since we're uh, we're just waiting for that, I will mention, and I'm not going to review this now because we haven't finished it. But Lissy and I are reading White Shark by Peter Benchley, based on Roger's review a while back. I advocated for it. We're enjoying it very much, but we're not that far in yet. So I'll probably review it next month. But it was nice to hear Richard Braun's voice. Bob Askey. Bob Askey. I didn't oh, wow. recognize him. <laughs> and he was younger at that time. 
I guess, but man, I didn't recognize him at all. His voice was a lot deeper. Mm. Well, it might be my Victor Reader, and through the speakers of the computer, it might be somewhat garbled. That might be because I really didn't recognize him. Well, doesn't he? There's no bass in the uh, in the recording there. I mean, you know, the the what do you call it? The the stream. There's no bass in the in the uh, recording. Yeah. I, I, I still would have, I'm still surprised I didn't recognize him though. Uh, his voice sounds deeper than normal on that. But uh, yeah, well, he's a good, he was a good reader. I wasn't one of my favorites, but he was a good reader. <laughs> um, he read a lot of analog science fictions back then. Um, but parts of them, you know, some of the stories, they always split up the narration of those. Uh, but he did quite a bit of that. Tom Clancy did some of those. Star Treks. Mm. He wasn't a huge fan of those, as I recall. He was in an interview uh, a while back. I might even have it. Um, he was not, you know, he didn't say he didn't like them. He, narrators never say they don't like books. I've noticed that about the re interviews that I've heard. They yeah. never want to say that they don't like books. Yeah, that's true. I haven't ever heard it's one. Funny that they prefer to read. I think it's a diplomatic thing, yeah. you know, where they don't want to diss somebody's favorite book, you know, that might listen to them. Um, yeah, they they say they like this and that, but they won't say this book was trash, you know. <laughs> that they, mm -hmm. You know, they're never going to do that. So. Roger, you're usually first. Uh, I haven't heard you. Are you? Is your computer functioning? It says you're I'm muted. Here. Um, now you can talk about what you were going to talk about last month, or you can talk about something completely different. It's up to you. Okay. First of all, did you hear me? Yes. No, yeah, we can hear you now. Oh, okay. We okay, didn't hear I anything. Have, if you I had said this, anything um, previously, we didn't hear it. Yeah, I have this. Um, my settings here at Zoom set so that I. <laughs> stay muted until I hold down the space bar and for whatever reason this time when I hold down the space bar I'm muting the rest of you at least I could barely hear hmm. anything you say so if you say anything before I finish talking I may not hear you A bug. okay in any that. case I was um, going to tell you about chaos in Lagrangia by Mike Reynolds and first, let me say something about how I chose it, <clears throat> because anybody who knows me would swear that I chose it for some other reason. This was going to be what I was going to tell you about in October, but things didn't work out for October. But as September was nearing an end, I remembered that I was going to have to have a book ready for the next meeting. And so I started browsing um, <clears throat> I started browsing the books. Good grief, my mind's distracted here. <laughs> I started browsing books to see something that was in um, fair condition on on our bookshare, and yeah, something in fair condition that I could give a quality report for. And I came across Chaos in Lagrangia by Mike Reynolds. And <clears throat> it was in fair condition, so I downloaded it and I went to Goodreads to see what information I could get on the Goodreads page there for it. And I, as I arrowed down, I came to about the author. Now, Mike Reynolds is an author I remember reading him a long time ago. I probably haven't read him in decades, probably not since I was a teenager. And I never really knew anything about Mac Reynolds until I got to this about the author uh, section. And <clears throat> that is where people who know me would swear that this is why I chose this book, but it really wasn't. People would swear that this is why I chose this book because I happen to be, everybody who knows me knows that I 
am extremely interested in radical left politics. And according to this section about Mac Reynolds, he was an activist for the Socialist Labor Party. And in fact, his father was the Socialist Labor Party candidate for U.S. president back in 1928 and 1932. I really didn't know that before. And it also said that um, his science fiction was written largely to promote uh, his politics. Now, if anybody knows anything about um, U.S. labor history, they know that both the Socialist Labor Party and the IWW, Industrial Workers of the World, also known as the uh, Wobblies, paid an important part in U.S. labor history until about a hundred years ago. They both took up anarcho-syndicalism and marched straight into obscurity. And by that, I mean that um, most people don't even know that they exist anymore, but both organizations do still exist. Anyway, um, he does promote his politics in this book. Chaos and Lagrangia, it refers to the Lagrange point. Now, <clears throat> I don't necessarily remember my astrophysics real well enough to explain what a Lagrange point is if you don't know it, but um, there was something about when you have two bodies orbiting each other like the Earth and the Moon, um, there is another orbital around the um, the uh, central, well, the kind, and not quite the center of gravity, but kind of an orbit around the center of gravity that forms an extremely stable <coughs> place for things to orbit into. Basically, if you get into it, you're trapped there unless you um, apply a really heavy escape velocity. And supposedly, if you look around at Lagrange points around the solar system, you're supposed to find debris sitting there in the Earth-Moon Lagrange points. I don't think they found anything, but I think the Sun Jupiter Lagrange points, they have found some asteroids trapped there. In any case, in this Earth-Moon Lagrange point, uh, people have set up um, colonies, artificial worlds that they call islands. And they have become pretty much self-sufficient. Well, they do trade with Earth and they trade with each other. Um, is there something similar to what Martin was saying here? Each island consists of um, something that everybody has in common, like an ethnic group, maybe a religious um, reason for them to come together, or political reason. And in fact, one of these um, worlds, these islands, is in fact an anarchist world set up on the syndicalist model. And in fact, <clears throat> their system of trade between each other is set up exactly the way the anarcho-syndicalists um, see trade between communities in the kind of world they want, which is basically if one island has an excess of something that another island needs, they just send it right over to them. No questions asked and don't ask anything in return. But of course, if they need something, then somebody's going to send it to them. So it all kind of evens out. But it's one island in particular that the whole um, socioeconomic system happens to be completely anarchist. And there are people back on Earth who don't like this too well. In fact, they want to exploit these islands, and especially that island, for profit. And they send saboteurs to try to disrupt it. Saboteurs, by the way, are called the Sons of Liberty. And by the way, in this um, universe, the Soviet Union still exists, and they don't like um, the anarchists having set up 
a working anarchist system themselves so that they're trying to sabotage it too. And you hang the plot on that. I remember there was a visitor to these, this um, anarchist island who got all confused because if he went into a cafeteria to get food, he'd just order up what he wanted and he got what he wanted and nobody asked him for money to, you know, for a credit card or anything like that. And once he went back to his living quarters, if he wanted to order something, if he wanted to buy something, he didn't have to buy it. He just looked on the computer screen, decided what he wanted and ordered it up and it would be delivered to his door. Um, that was a real bit disconcerting for him. In any case, <clears throat> um, there is a lot of intrigue as these people from Earth are trying to destroy the system. And finally, of course, the anarchists win out. But because of this constant interference, toward the end of the book, they are planning to build a starship and go build more islands around Barnard's star. So they're going to get away from the Earth entirely. So I, basically, I just, I, like I said, I knew about Mike Reynolds for a long time, but all I really knew about him was that he was a science fiction writer. And I know I've read things by him in the past, in the far distant past, and I don't remember anything about them. And so I had completely forgotten about that. But to find out that he was a an activist for the SLP struck, you know, I was greatly interested in that. I really didn't know. So there you have it. I think it was an interesting book. Try it out sometime. Oh, by the way, I did make a quality report on it. And I haven't heard from um, Bookshare yet. But uh, they usually get on top of that and come up to scan another copy. So look how for old that is that? Up, I guess. Now I'm going to mute myself again and see if I can hear anything anyone has to say about this. How old is that? When was that written? I know the name also, but I don't remember if I've read anything by him or not. But is that from the 60s or 50s or how old is that? Mike Reynolds was. I, the, also about the author information said that he was popular during the 1960s and that he used to write for Galaxy Magazine and stuff. So I don't oh. remember this particular book when it was written, but I figure probably in the 60s, probably no later than the early 70s. And by the way, I don't know what happened to Mike Reynolds, but that's long enough ago. And since I haven't heard about anything recent that he's written, I figure he's probably long gone by now, but I imagine that was written in the 60s. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that will be redone by Bookshare. It certainly could be, we could check it on Bard. I don't know if Bard NLS has anything by him. Uh, um, I know the name though, so I know I've seen it somewhere, but I can't put my finger on it right now. But, uh, yeah, well, that's interesting. Uh, a lot of authors put their politics in their work, sometimes more overtly, uh, sometimes overtly, and sometimes not as overtly. I mean, Werner Vinge uh, never made a big case for his li more libertarian views, but he has private security forces, and you know the governments are usually in trouble, or they, you know, they 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 just. Uh, um, so he doesn't really talk about it much. He just creates a society where certain things are that you would expect a libertarian society to have. Um, and then you'll see other people, you know, putting in, you know, style like obviously Heinlein was more overt about his political leanings. He was, he made, made no apologies for his more libertarian conservative. I'm not sure what you'd call it exactly, but, um, anyhow, um, well, we have more people. Who wants to go next? Anybody? I'll go if you want. And sure. Yeah, we have a lot of people this month. That's great. Okay, well, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. Oh, so. don't worry. I wasn't pressuring you. I'm just proud. <laughs> ah, well, 
Good. Um, I have been reading both fantasy and science fiction these days, and I have to confess, guys, that I have not read any serious science fiction at all in the past eight months. I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I have to have my entertainment and um, so if you think my books are frivolous, they are, but that's okay. Um, Why, sure. I have spent the past three weeks or so reading books by Alice or uh, by Lois McMaster Bujold. Well, those aren't frivolous exactly. Well, no, but they're, you know. Some of them are quite serious. Yeah, some of them are. Um, I've been reading the Rokosigan series, Rokosigan, and this series is all about this uh, guy who is, um, he was born with some birth defects because of a uh, gas attack that his mother experienced when she was pregnant. And so he has all these birth defects and he's very much shorter than everybody else and whatever. But he ends up becoming a, an auditor for the emperor. And an auditor is not a, a financial person. An auditor in this case is a, well, I guess you could call him sort of a fix-it man. Uh, because he gets sent on all these different missions to go to various places and fix problems that are causing uh, difficulties for the empire. And the book I want to talk about is in the middle of the series. But it was so great, I just have to tell you about it. It's called A Civil Campaign. And it's all about Miles Vorkosigan and his, uh, well, there are several things going on. But the first thing that's going on is that he is trying to uh, woo a, um, a lady. And he's having some difficulties because he's short and he's thin and he's, you know, he's not, well, he's not your regular handsome dude. So he's having some difficulty there. And then there is his foster brother or his clone brother or whatever, who has gotten in this business with this guy from another planet who has found um or made genetically engineered a bunch of bugs that secrete a um, substance like honey and it, it can be used as the basis for um good things to eat and <laughs> i have to tell you guys i have not laughed so hard in a month of Sundays, this whole book, scene after scene is just hysterically funny. And of course the cat looks at me like I'm weird. Um, what are you doing? Why are you screaming? <laughs> but I have to say that, um, you know, mixed in here is a couple of political plots trying to damage the the uh, empire and so forth. And Miles is is dealing with that. And then on the other hand, he's dealing with trying to get this lady to marry him. And um, with the the guy and his bugs, they call them butter bugs. <laughs> and it's it's a it's a romp. It really is. It's, it's just a romp. And I think if you, if you want a good laugh, um, I would suggest that you read this particular book. Now, if you're a series nut 
and you have to start back at the beginning of the series and read all the way through to get to a civil campaign. You could certainly do that, but you could read it as a standalone. Yeah, what is she up to now? I mean, it's like 20 or Pardon? something. I forget. Pardon? How many books is she up to now in this series? At least oh, I don't know. I'm reading the latest one. Um, what is it called? Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen. Um, I don't know. I think she's got about 14 or 15 or, you know. Yeah, that sounds about right. Something on the order of that. And they're not real long books, though. No. So you can read them one, a... uh, This particular one, the civil campaign, is 18 hours. Oh, well, that's a little longer then. So it's a, it's a little bit longer than most of them. Most of them run like 11 or 12 hours. Yeah. So... And um, just to uh, to uh, give a little personal details to this, I happened to meet Bujold way back in the dark ages in 1989 when I went to Boscone, which was the Worldcon in Boston that year. And... Um, I had a wonderful time. I went with a, a bunch of people from Rochester who all belonged to the science fiction club that we belonged to then. And we all went to the, the convention and we had a wonderful time. And one of our members, um, Martha Barter, who has since left us, God rest her, um, she happened to know Bujold. And so we got to meet this lady. And I don't remember very much about her, except that she was very sweet. And, you know, she shook hands with us and, and said how nice it was to meet us all and, and so forth and so on. And we chatted a bit, nothing of consequence, which I remember, but it was really nice to meet her. And this last book, uh, the one about Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen, I'm, I just started it this morning, so I can't talk very much about it, but um, I was sitting there listening to the, you know, the usual blurb that comes on for a bard book. You know, it's all the same at the beginning. You know, it gives you the title and the author and the, you know, this book is, is uh, you know, marked up for, for uh, at level one, the chapters and so forth. And then it got to the the dedication, and I almost dropped my coffee cup because here is the dedication, and it says to Dr. Martha Barter, who is the gal that we knew, you know, in Rochester, who was part of our science fiction group. <laughs> wow. Really startling. But yes, um, after all I have this time, to say that I really enjoy Bujol's writing. And I have ever since her first book, which came out, which was called Falling Free. So, um, yeah, that was about the quaddies. Yes, it was yeah. very good. That was published in Analog, actually. That's where I read it. I didn't hear, I didn't read the book from Bard. I got it, that was serialized in Analog before it came out, or at least shortly after it came out. But I don't think it's on Bard. Oh, maybe it isn't. Oh, I didn't even look. But uh, yeah, I read it in analog. Maybe, I think it may be. I'm not sure. But you know what she did, Bujold? She sent me the audio copy of Falling Free. Wow. And I think she signed the inside cover mm. of the, you know, the container with mm -hmm. the cassettes. It's all on cassette. <laughs> yeah. If you can believe it. But I still have it. That was cool. I mean, it, uh, I don't know how many authors do this stuff now, but I actually got books from Greg Egan back before, and Bard never had any of the ones I wanted to read that he published in the 90s. And I, I went up to his website, and I don't remember, you know, I asked him, you know, if he, you know, could send me anything. And he sent me the discs, and he didn't even, I offered to give him something. He wouldn't take anything. He just sent me the discs, and I put them in, you know, I was able to read them. Now they say unknown files, but they were, that was back in mm -hmm. word perfect days. 
Um, wow. <laughs> so anyhow, but uh, yeah, authors are really nice. Um, some of them. Um, so anyway, that was cool. That's great to hear that the personal touch like that from an author. But she remembered her after all these years, unless they keep kept in touch after you, you know, after you met her. Well, they must have. They must uh, have. Mar Martha left yeah. Rochester. Oh, I don't know. Like 15, 20 years ago, and moved out to the Midwest to take a job in a college teaching science fiction. Oh. And um, gosh, I don't even remember where. Kansas or somewhere. One of those square states, anyway. <laughs> I never. <laughs> I never. You got the shape, right? <laughs> you know, You're talking about the shape, Liz. Yes, yes, yeah. yes I know. I know. You know, you know, but. Well, uh, who's next? Who wants to be next? I mean, who? who wants I'll go to ahead. Sherry. Sherry. I reread an older book that I really liked a long time ago and didn't remember much about, but I remembered liking it a lot. And it's called The High Crusade by Paul Anderson. Yeah. A classic. Um, this had some laugh out loud moments in it too. It starts out with some aliens landing on Earth in England in the Middle Ages. And you find out later that these aliens tend to just find planets they think are primitive. They land, they kill everybody or enslave people and just take over the planet for their own res for the resources. Well, the aliens come out and they kill a knight with their fire shooter. But they don't have any armor because these guys are all primitive, right? Well, these guys all have bows and arrows. They're at war with France. And so they kill all the aliens with their crossbows. <laughs> and they decide they're going to take the ship and go to France and, you know, defeat the French. So they load up uh, their families on the ship and they have a couple alien captives. And the alien captive, of course, sets the course to return to the home planet. And once he sets it, nobody knows how to undo it, including him. So they end up back on the home planet of these aliens. And Sir Roger, who's the head guy, loves nothing better than fighting. So, of course, he wants to continue to fight with the aliens on their home planet. And they just don't get it. And they have all kinds of fancy stuff like metal detectors and stuff. But the English build a trebuchet. They're not used to that. <laughs> and they manage to knock down walls with that. And... They managed to learn how to use some of the alien weapons. They also managed to contact a bunch of, or some of the other alien worlds that have been taken over and set up an alliance to defeat these aliens. And then it continues on from there. And it sort of goes a little downhill from there because it's all battles and fighting and it's not as interesting. But I thought it was really good. And it's a pretty short read too. I don't remember the length and I forgot to write it down. But it was, a, it was an entertaining book and, and it, it was good. I agree. It's a classic. Yep. That's from the 60s, too, I think. I probably, yeah. He was writing so much back then. It was incredible, all the stuff he was doing. I mean, it's amazing that one person could do all that, but he did. He wrote a lot of stuff. Yeah, he was really magazines. good. I've read a lot of his stuff and liked it. Yeah, because he had the traitor to the star. You know, he had the, the what was his name, Nicholas Van Ryn series going, and he had the you know, the time travel stuff, mm -hmm. the, you know, and he did some other really classics like Brainwave. I think that was from the 60s or late 50s. That was a really good book. I Who like was that? Zelazny? Anderson, Paul Anderson. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Zelazny really was more fantasy, I believe. Yeah. A lot of people he could do like both, him. but he was more fantasy. Oh, I was Roger Zelazny. I don't know why his name popped into my head, but he's more fantasy, I think. Though he did do both. He did some, yeah. He did some really far future stuff. Um, yeah. and I, li I like the Amber books, even though they're not really science. Who did Magipore? We read something. Was, Who did uh, Matt? Robert Silverberg. Oh, the other one. I get them mixed up because they're about the same time. Yeah, Zelazny yeah, died sooner though. Oh, okay. I'm not sure what of oh. right now, but he died. He didn't live as long as Silverberg did. And I think Silverberg started a little earlier, too, though. I don't know. Oh. He started in the 50s. I don't know if Zelazny really started until the 60s. Oh, one the of his end first of the... stories was uh, A Rose for Ecclesiastes, 
That was like in the early sixties. Who did that? Silverberg. Oh, about the, the, the linguist and the planet and they're trying to grow a rose. I remember yeah, that one. That was a that strange was a, one. That was a Hall of Fame. That was the final story in the Science Fiction Hall of Fame that went up to the mid-60s. or so. I think they were, they've got a nebula. Um, he Who Shapes got a nebula. It was turned into a novel called The Dream Master. That was, a, that was about a psychotherapist who goes into a VR with, a, with uh, their patients but they're connected. They wear this VR headset and a hood type thing, and they go into this VR. And um, well, it's I, I don't want to spoil it, but it was a good story. So it was out and out science fiction. But he did a good bit of fantasy. The Amber Chronicles. I enjoyed them quite a lot. The first five, anyway. Um, but Zelazny was great. He did some really weird stuff, though, that was hard to tell if it was science fiction or fantasy. Because when you get far enough out into the future and, and you don't explain the technology or don't know how it works, it can be a little hard to tell sometimes. Clark's Law again. Yep, yep, that's true. So, but uh, like Lord of Light, you know, it had, you know, you can see that that's science fiction, but, but it looks like magic to the population, you know, the uneducated populace, because the... Hindu gods, you know, they transmigrate, but it's really, you know, virtual, you know, it's really uh, brain emulations and copying, you know, the mental, you know, stuff like that. So it's really not reincarnation in any supernatural sense, but it looks that way. Anyhow, that was, uh, he was, he was great. He was one of my favorite authors when I was a kid. Um, I remember when I was 12 or 13, he was one of my favorites because he wrote some of his stuff was really far out. And I liked far out stuff back then. I still do, actually. But I'll talk about that later. What do you think, Marshall? Well, that's I'm the previous book is a good lead into the books I read. Uh, I've been rereading books I liked before because somebody playing, I can't. Is somebody playing something? I don't know what it is. You hear that? I do. It sounds like there's a radio station or something like going on in the background. Yeah. Oh, it's gone. Okay, go ahead, Marshall. Anyway, I uh, started rereading Harry Turtle Doves, World War, the four books. And there are two series. World War is one, and I don't know the names of the others. But it also starts out with the aliens arriving. And they arrive in 1942. And the World War is going on, and they say, well, we're going to take over. There's only one little problem. Their probe arrived in about, well, the times of knights in armor, and their rate of advancement is so slow, they still think we're used, riding around on horses and fighting with swords. So they are rather surprised when we have tanks and even primitive propeller aircraft to them. So they try and conquer the world and run into all kinds of trouble um, because they can't, they can't adjust to the way the human race jumps from technology to technology. And I enjoyed it because I, I really don't know why, but I just really enjoyed it. There are all kinds of historical characters, you know, Churchill's in it, Stalin. Um, oh, I can't remember the prime, the foreign secretary of the Soviet Union. Molotov. Um, Molotov. Ribbentrop, yeah. um, Leslie Groves is in it. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and 
And anyway, it finally turns out we defeat the aliens because they can never adjust to our rate of speed, adjust the rate of our technology, technological advancement. And they also happened, the aliens also happened to find, get addicted to ginger. And that helps destroy them. And I really enjoyed all four books. Um, there is a second series that takes place about 10 years later, by which time we've developed starships and we go visit them and I won't go into what happens there. But I enjoyed it. Um, I think the, the battles are appropriate and it goes through, you know, a lot of the adjustments that both people and the aliens have to wait. By the way, the aliens are lizards, kind of. Um, but I enjoyed it. And But for some reason, I've tried to read other books by Turtle Dove. With the exception of these two series, I can't stand them. Those books, oh, I don't know about those books in particular, but a lot of his books aren't really short. No, they're not no, they're short long. books. Yeah, they're, they're quite long. No, they're not short books. But he tried to build, build some with alternate, you know, Confederate Civil War and World well, War I. Well, he did something with Byzantium, too, didn't he? Yeah, the, uh, uh, the Odessos, or whatever it's called. Odessos. Yeah. Well, yeah. he was actually a teacher. He was a professor of some... Of Byzantine, Byzantine history. He sure history. was. Yes. He yeah. was a, I mean, he wasn't just a dilettante. He really... He knew, uh -uh, he knew what he was but, writing. Yeah. Videssos is based on the Byzantine Empire. I wish I could find it, but Bart... I think Bookshare has it. Bart does not. And he also did an alternate history, Rule Britannia, what if the Spanish Armada had won, and the case of the toxic spell dump, which treated magic as just another thing. You had the Bureau of Magic something, and somebody's spells were causing problems in, in the city, and this investigator had to go. It treated magic just like it was just another thing. He also just, wrote one that was more magical, but I tried to start it, and I couldn't get into it, and I don't know why... You know, one series of books just appealed to me, and these others just left me flat. I just read one, a standalone one of his called Guns of the South, where I want to check that out. Some apartheid guys come back and give the South AK-47s, and it's it's a long book, but I, I thought it was really well written. Sometimes I don't like his books because there's too many battles, but the battles in this book were. I didn't mind them. They were fine. And um, I just tend to find all the tactics and stuff boring. But this was really well written. And it had a lot of little tiny details. I'm sort of a Civil War nerd. So I picked up some stuff that he would not have had to include, like the way Robert E. Lee described the Northerners and stuff. But he did include it. And it, it really, it was pretty interesting to see how things turned out if the South would have won the war. Oh, it was good. Wow. Well, David, since you were talking, you have a, a book you have brought to us. Um, it's funny. Anne mentioned Gentleman Joel and the Red Queen. I'm in the middle of it, but it's not the one I want to talk about. She did an excellent job of telling you the Varkosican universe. The McMaster Bujold, who also has done some fantasy. I like the first one about Chaler or whatever she called it, but the sequels got weird, so I didn't get into them. But this Varkosican series, it's the way she world builds. Each planet is unique. It has its own sexual mores, its own culture, its own customs, and each book brings you to a different one. So, you know, you can can, you don't have to read them in order. I haven't. I wish I had because you almost need a guide to this world because the, the, the books do mention things from other books. I mean, you don't have to read them in order, but you, it, it does help. And they have all the histories of the different planets and how they interact together, and they have wormhole travel and really technical medical stuff. 
in some instances. But the book I'd like to talk about is called Hella. It's by David Gerald, Gerald, G-E-R-O-L-D. Some of you may remember The Trouble with Tribbles, which is the episode he did with Star Trek, and he's done other science fiction. He's been around since the 80s, at least. Yeah, I know the book. The book is called Hella. It just came out recently. It's basically, I think it's basically for junior, uh, for high school and adult readers. It's from the point of view of a kid who's maybe 15, um, only they don't do their years the way we do. He's in, in their planet, he's like five and a half because the planet Hella has a year on Hella it is of 18 months. Each month is 36 days, and each day is 36 hours. Can you imagine? The years are named after scientists like Curie or Mendel. You know, they have... I'm sorry, the months are. I don't, I'm not, I don't remember how they did their years, but the months are named after scientists. The planet is lighter in gravity, and everything on it is bigger than Earth. They have these giant dinosaur things. The climate is unpredictable, so they live in one part during the summer, and they have to migrate to somewhere else, a, a, set, you know, a different colony location in the winter because of the, the big herd of herb, herbivorous dinosaur things run across the planet so they have to move twice a year the point of the story is that there are people in the colony who want to change the direction naturally they they want to take it over and make it less democratic there's a starship in route that eventually orbits the planet and is ready to um, disperse about 1200 colonists to the planet it's it's still a frontier society the guy kyle is obviously on the spectrum. They never use the term autism, but he doesn't, you know, he's very, he doesn't like to be touched. He's very detail-oriented. He's very meticulous. He was um, tasked with developing videos to teach people, these, co- these newcomers, how to live on the planet, to learn what you, what's safe and what's not safe to do on the planet, how you live on this planet. And I thought the book was interesting in the way he world-built, that, you know, the, they were medically ahead of us. They were, they were little gender fluid you could change your gender almost as easily as having your nails done so he used the term gender naught it reminded me a bit in that aspect of john varley's book um steel beach where you also saw that he was definitely using this book as um evan said to put in some ideas of culture and maybe some of his own i would assume some of his own beliefs because kyle was originally female but didn't like it so he, he changed when he was three or four and nobody, you know, it was no big thing because you'd always change back later. You know, it was no big thing. That's how the book went. And they, um, it's how the, the, um, the guy, the one who wants to over, over to take control of the government, it's how he tries to do it. And it's how Kyle helps foil him. So it's probably more a coming of age novel, but it was fun. The world building was interesting. We, I wonder if we'll, we'll see these people again. I mean, you could do another one. Um, you know, it experimented as does Lois McMaster Bujold with different sexual um, configurations and different types of technology. It was fun. You know, I enjoyed it. It was decently well read, and the world building on the planet was interesting. So I don't think you can have a planet as they do with mountains that are so tall they nearly hit the end of the atmosphere. I mean, I would think that would be just so incredibly tall it would fall or something. The trees were 150 meters, which I think is close to 500 feet. That that seemed bizarre too, but it was just interesting. It was fun. And that's all. I did want to add, you mentioned Turtle Dove. He also did a time travel book with Judith Tarr. It's not science fiction, so I won't really get into it, but he's quite prolific, and I guess that's all I'll say. He is. He's still around, isn't he? I thought. He's a PhD, a PhD in Byzantine history. I guess he uses the the convolutions of the Byzantine Empire as grist for some of his, you know, like those that Vedesos there. It's it's a guy, something of Crispus of Vedesos. He's like an agent or something. And the world is Byzantium, but like in reverse. Like if you turn the map north to south instead of south to north, um, is what I had heard. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, Liz. Okay. I am here. Um, You can hear me okay now? Yes. Okay, great. Um, Okay, I have two. Um, I just started today. I'm about halfway through um, Robin Cook's um, Pandemic, a novel. 
And it's actually very good. Um, I'm enjoying it quite a lot. It was recommended by Steve at Banquet of Books. I think it was. Sherry, you were there. So, um, But um, basically, it starts off, it opens up with um, a young um, David Chow, who is Chinese, but he's here in America. He wanted to stay in China to, to study, but his family brought him here because he could get a better education. You get the idea. Huh? Somebody was checking the time. Sounded like Jaws. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, I, I won't take too long because it is getting late. But essentially, you the, the, it's centered around the um, investigation following the death of a young woman. She's 30 something. She, she gets on the train in New York and she's going to go get a tattoo redone because she's broken up with her partner and she wants to get it finished. And she's perfectly healthy when she gets on the train. And then all of a sudden she starts feeling chilled. And by the time she gets off at the station, she collapses and dies. Okay. So when they get her to the ME's office and they're investigating, they find out that she's been uh, like, she has had a recent heart transplant and the further they investigate, they um, find out that the heart that's been transplanted into her has the same exact DNA that she has. So they're trying to figure out how this could be. The only way it's possible is if it were her identical twin. Um, and even then there's going to be some differences. Um, what I like about the book is I, I love medical investigations. I love, yeah, well, anyway, this, the, the Chinese kid is working in his father's um, company or factory that are not, I'm not saying the word right. It's, Basically, they're experimenting with genotherapy, or not genotherapy, but but um, gene mutations, and they are creating um, they're creating like these animals that will um, produce naturally um, protein-based um, drugs, basically. Um, and so, I haven't gotten the connection between the girl and them, but you do find out that the the um, medical examiner once he starts making the connection and we've just gotten to the point in the book where it's back to the, um, it's con there's a connection there between the, the, the gene experimentation that's going on on this um, New Jersey, you know, place um, to this girl. Um, it, it's good. I, I do recommend it. Um, but I was going to talk, I don't know if I've ever talked about the news flash series here by Mira Grant. Nope. Does anybody so. is anybody familiar with it? What was it called again? Okay, it's it's News Flash series. Oh no, That's I'm not. Series. Okay, there's four novels in it. Uh, Mira Grant is the author. Um, G R A N T is the last name, and it is set in the not so distant future. Um, what has happened is that cancer has been cured, and the common cold has been cured, but um, what has the um, somehow a, a new a new thing has happened? Is they call it the Callus Amberley uh, virus, basically, and it infects people and you die, but then you reanimate. It also affects animals beyond over the um, over the poundage of 40, uh, 40 pounds. So, like dogs are reanimating as zombies um you know larger animals people not young children but it centers around georgia and sean mason who are brother and sister and they're journalists um you find out through the series that georgia mason has a rare immunity to the the the, the virus that is creating this pandemic of zombies but it has affected her eyes. So she has to wear these protective glasses um, to protect her from a lot of pain. She'll be in a lot of pain if she doesn't wear those. Um, and they investigate, they come to find out that the government is deeply involved in the, um, the spreading of the pandemic. 
they're doing all kinds of experimentations. And once they find out that Georgia has this weird immunity to the Calisamberly uh, virus, they go after her and, and gets into cloning. And um, <laughs> it, it, I loved the series. I, I, there's four books. They're each quite long. The, it's all on Bard now, and it, has, it wasn't in, initially. But the final book that they put up there is called Newsflash. No, no, I'm sorry. It's called Rise. And it's a collection of all of the novellas that go between the major novels. Um, and it gives you all the backstories behind huh. just how the virus got created and mutated. And it started with some... Um, <coughs> Some activists that were upset because they were they wanted everybody to have access to the cures for cancer and the cold, and of course they were going to the rich people. So they they got into a laboratory and released the virus <laughs> mutated. Um, uh, one of the stories is from the perspective of a dog that that gets sick with the virus and. So the dog is talking, you know, you're, you're finding out the dog's experience about it. Uh, but my favorite is the day the, uh, the day the zombies came to San Diego, I think is the exact name of it. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's um, um, Comic-Con in San Diego. And the virus breaks out at the Comic-Con and they don't realize what's going on. They thought it's just some elaborate cosplay going on. <laughs> it was just a lot of fun. Um, so if you haven't checked it out, um, it's fun. All righty. Well, it's almost time for. It's almost time to quit. <laughs> he was going to say. Um, no, I think he was going to say. Something. In fact, I've got to I've got to run because I've got a nine o'clock appointment. Yeah, well, I have to run too soon. But since Alessi wanted me to tell you all that she's reading Christopher Paolini's <laughs> book. Uh, uh, to sleep in the sea of stars. It's science fiction. It's not fantasy. You know, he was famous for his. He was famous for his. It's it's city of stars. To sleep in a sea of stars. Is it good? I've heard about it. I don't know. I think it sounds pretty good so far. It's yeah, because like you said, he did those ele those elegon dragon things Aragon, or whatever. Yeah. Oh, this is science fiction. Uh, it's definitely not fantasy. It's about this man and woman who, well, it starts out with this romance and they want to get married and stuff. And they think they do get married. And then she goes on this expedition. Well, they both get their, get the corporation or whoever to give them a mission on the same ship to the same place. And they discover this alien artifact and it covers her with this impenetrable, it modifies her you know genetically or something and covers her with this impenetrable uh but it kills you know the rest most of the rest of the people who were on the expedition mm. including her husband and now mm. they're studying it uh trying to figure out how to what it's made of and how to damage it but they can't do anything to it and but she hasn't gotten that it's a very long book uh i don't know if it's on bard uh, i didn't look i don't think it is but it's a quite a long book, and she's not that far into it yet. But that's what's happened. So, but you know, the synopsis talks about a journey of discovery and transformation, and there's a as a war, and you know, the human colonies are in peril. There's like not a huge number. It's I don't know how far in the future it is, but it's a fair way uh, because they've got uh, a bunch of human colonies, and they've got implants. Everybody has implants that they use for their memories, and they use for, you know interfacing with machines and stuff so it's it's definitely not fantasy so but it sounds pretty good she's been reading me some of it uh to go to sleep by but i told her it was probably not a good book to go to sleep by because i was getting interested in it so but she's already a fair way as i said into it and they're trying to figure out they they try everything to penetrate this skin that it's all black and it created these spikes at first and got people killed people but so they don't know if it's an accident or if it was intentional they can't communicate with it or, you know with you know this thing that's apparently protecting her from everything now um but i don't know if she's going to change more or if she's going to you know what's going to happen to her but as i said it's a long book and 
she's not that far into it, but she wanted me to tell you about it. Uh, but it's getting late, so I'm not going to tell you about my book until next year, uh, next month, and I might have a different one by then. So well, next month we'll have to let you go first because you keep maybe getting I cut should because I yeah um, I am I have high hopes for this new voices of science fiction that Barr just put up last week. I like I like the author the editor has written re three really really great books that I did for Bookshare. Uh, but uh, David, you wouldn't like them. I can tell you that they're quite no. weird. No, oh. very far out stuff. Very strange, but they were really good. Um, but uh, yeah, the guy who wrote them has a doctorate in string theory and stuff. And oh my! Very. Yeah, he's Hanu Rajanyami. I think his name. I I've never quite gotten the pronunciation of it quite right, but he's. He uh, wrote books. None of them are on Bard, um, but um, I did them for Bookshare uh, several years ago. Um, but they're really, there's really radical future far out stuff. So anyway, I may tell you about that if I finish it by next month. But I may also tell you about White Shark by Peter Benchley, because Lissy and I are reading that now, and we're enjoying it quite a lot. So yeah, I have I'd choices. be interested to hear about that. So I'll go first next time, so I can tell you about something at least yep. our next meeting will be on december 10th 2020 